Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people who are currently working in schools, and we talk about life in their current country and dive into some specific topics. The podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People always ask what Chromebooks we recommend and what Windows laptops we recommend, and after trying literally all of them, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more info and try out some devices, please just go to gg.gg forward slash Acer Education. That's gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get right back to you. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Apps Events. We're a Google partner. We work all around the world. We've just got one piece of new information right now. This is in, in January 2021. We're a G Suite Enterprise for Education partner. That's Giuseppe. This is a bunch of premium tools available to people using Google at their schools. We can help you get set up with a free one-month trial. So please check out the link in the show notes and we'll do that right away. And now, on to the interview. Hello, this is the International School Podcast. My name is John Micton, your co-host. Tonight with uh, Kristen McDonnell, who will be uh, sharing some of her understandings and learnings from pivoting thousands, uh, hundreds, sorry, hundreds of teachers into a virtual online environment from face to face. Dan, our friend and co-host, is on holiday enjoying the Austrian Alps with his family. So I'll be talking uh, to Kristen alone. And... Kristen, just to kick things off, maybe you can just give us a quick introduction, kind of your background and your role currently. Can you hear me? Thanks, John. As you said, my name is, I can hear you, yes. (laughs) My name is Kristen McConnell, and I'm the director of the Teacher Training Center programs. I'm just finishing up my second year in that role. And like many educators who have changed positions during the pandemic, I started with the Principals Training Center just before the pandemic happened. And so the bulk of my experience with adult learning at the Principals Training Center has been since we have gone remote. Fantastic. In the past, your organization has always done face-to-face. That's kind of the the secret sauce where people get together, they get to spend time face-to-face, they get to interact in groups, There's the whole social aspect before and after the coffee breaks, and there's a lot of learning and sharing that goes on. Can you talk a bit about how you structured that face-to-face environment, just to give us a context of what you had to switch away from? Yes, the face-to-face environment is an immersive, intensive learning experience where people would come and participate in either a five-day or a seven-day course, depending on if they're a teacher, counselor, or a principal or aspiring leader. And as you mentioned, within those five or seven days, people are immersed in learning from the time they get up till the time they go to bed. And there is a a culture of collaboration and co-construction of learning, as well as a time to be social and network and get to know each other and really better understand Uh, your practice as an international educator and the practice of other international educators. It's a unique experience because it's one of the only only opportunities that I know of where people who work in international schools get to come together and the focus is solely on international schools and international education. And both the teacher training center and the principal training center, I think, 
are really important professional learning opportunities for many educators that are looking to become leaders or further their craft as educators. And one of the things is that kind of community feeling, that sense of cohesiveness and the connections and the networking that you make. And that really is a very rich part of that experience as you described. Now suddenly COVID comes about and you of course have planned for the face-to-face -face, and suddenly that can't happen. And suddenly you have over, and I'm, I think it's about 30 years of running these courses and the principal training center and the teacher training center and the counseling training center. So there's a lot of experience and expertise in choreographing and curating this uh, professional learning. And suddenly you have to move to online. Talk to us a bit about what went through the organization's thinking when suddenly you realize you could not do it as you've always done and you do so well, and you have a very strong following and captive audience, suddenly you had to pivot everything online. What were some of the things that confronted you and some of the challenges and opportunities? Well, there are lots of different things we were thinking about. Uh, one thing we were thinking about is how do we take our content and make that content engaging in an asynchronous slash synchronous environment. We were also thinking about the digital architecture. So how do we design in a way that people are going to be able to access and engage in learning? And then we had to think about our trainers and how are our trainers going to be able to facilitate the type of learning that we've been come to known for be known for in an online environment and so we did go back and look at our design principles and use those as a guide so we were thinking about almost as, as a criteria list when we were making these decisions so can we still engage in research-based relevant curriculum strategies Yes. Can we still have experienced international school practitioners? Yes, we can do that. Can we still access the best of what we know about how adults learn? Yes, we can do that. So we went through those design principles. Um, and I would say it's exciting just as people in schools were going through this process. And it's also scary because we have are known for offering uh, high class professional development and moving from a known quantity into an unknown quality quantity and uh, making sure that we deliver a product that we are uh, so deeply invested in for supporting international educators was it was a big challenge and so what's interesting is those design principles that you referred to were design principles that you used for the face-to-face and what I think is really interesting is that they transcended into an online environment. What is it maybe about design principles or learning principles that are so important when you develop and think of those as an organization that then they transfer into a completely different architecture? What were some of the things that you think were aspects of those design principles that made them actually available and possible in all kinds of different environments, face-to-face -face and online. We talk about this in our courses as well. We go from beliefs to principles. And so the principles are those aspects that we know are, are, to be, are true, that are research-based, that have evidence that they work. And so if you're thinking about designing learning and the learning is based on those principles, those research-based principles, the question then just becomes, 
Um, we know that this works for learning. So now let's think about what that learning might look like in a different format. And so one thing that we had long conversations about is are there aspects of learning that maybe work better in an online environment that we hadn't really considered before? Are there aspects of learning that uh, we have sort of relied on in an in-person environment and what might that look like when it's now in an online environment. So there is a lot of um, opportunity to dig into maybe a new set of research principles as we were looking at going online. Uh, we know how adults learn best, but how does that align with learning online in a virtual environment? And how can we continue to be creative and innovative and provide an engaging experience for participants that is still very practical and skills-based? So uh, you start designing this online environment and these online courses. Can you talk a bit about what kind of structures did you create? Because you obviously understood that what happens face-to-face -face, you can't replicate in online, but the design principles are the same. What were the things that you had to change the most? What were the things where you had to basically say, okay, we need to reinvent the wheel in some ways? I think there were two main things. So the first thing we spent a lot of time doing is coming up with a model. So what might this model look like? What are the things that we would like participants to be able to do to have a really powerful learning experience. And we came up with four things. So we wanted people to have opportunities to watch and engage. We wanted people to have opportunities to practice their skills. Uh, a really, really important aspect of our programs is getting perspective, getting perspective from colleagues, getting perspective from experts in the field. And then we also know that choice is really important when you are an adult learner also when you are a student as well, but we're focusing on adults here. And so we wanted people to have a chance to go deeper with their learning and provide them with some resources that they might be able to choose from so they could sort of uh, personalize the path that they took with their learning. And so that was the model aspect of what we did. And so you, you use this model and you start redesigning many of the courses and the offerings that you had. When you were doing that, you very likely were aware that one of the things that people love about the PTC and the TTC is the social aspect. It's that connection and networking. When you were thinking of the redesign, what were you, how did you consider that aspect that you know is much more difficult, that sense of community and you know the coffee break or maybe having a beer afterwards? How did you come to terms with that aspect that's so rich in the experience that people come for? I mean, I think there, you know, just like schools had as well, I think in a way there's a little bit of a grieving process because you have to let go of things that are really important. And it's really hard to let go of something that you know has worked and has been so effective. And so we had one decision we had to make was for that synchronous time that we have together, how much synchronous time is reasonable? We know that we green all day. So we had to think about what's just enough time that we can get people together and talking and getting perspective. And then perhaps how can we chunk that? So the two structures that we came up with were one, 
which ranged from about 90 to 120 minutes. And we knew we couldn't go past that amount of time because we have time zone constraints. We had people joining us from, I don't know, 10, 12, and we had to try and find a time that was going to maybe not be best for everybody, but that would work for everybody in a reasonable way. And then the second structure that we put into place is a structure that we did have in our in-person institutes, which was our afternoon groups. And we renamed those afternoon groups as our home groups because it's no longer the afternoon for everybody. And we created opportunities for people who were in similar to come together for an additional hour synchronously to discuss their learning, to unpack the day's learning, to connect with each other. And as I was reading through, we're, we're just finishing up week four right now. And I was, as I've been reading through some of the feedback from participants, people said that they replicated some of the things that they did do in person. Like when they met for their home groups, they might all be eating at the same time and you know getting together over dinner. Um, and that's something that we max in person, but that's something that stuck. And so it was this time to come together, but also to be social around the learning. I think it's really interesting. The point that you brought up is this idea of grieving. And uh, basically as we let go of certain things, that we're very attached to and that we know as practitioners work really well. They're kind of, you know, the assurances that if we do this, we're going to get engagement and motivation. And I think that grieving process is interesting because I think we very likely didn't understand that that was a grieving process and we were so tied. And some people were quite stubborn and decided, I don't care, I'm going to push my face-to-face -face class online. And then, of course, what we saw is a fair amount of issues uh, from participants and uh, parents and students saying, I don't want to be online for eight hours. It's exhausting. And, and this idea that you talked about is balancing the asynchronous from the synchronous and the way that you've structured it with those timestamps of certain times and certain. And do you feel that there is a, that limit, not only because of time zone, but also because of engagement? Because you did talk about the time zone issue. But what about engagement? Do you think there's a point where people there's only so much they can do on a Zoom call. I definitely think that's true. And it's a hard balance because at the same time that people love the opportunity to talk with each other and to share ideas and share experiences um, and wish, you know, I wish we just had 15 more minutes. I wish we just had 30 more minutes. At the same time, there's somebody else on that same call who who's at about their limit. And you know, maybe it's because of screen time and maybe it's because of time of day, but you really it really is tricky to find the right balance that meets the needs for everybody. But I think if we go back to what we know from the research and online learning, it's just not, um, we just wouldn't wanna ask people to be in front of their screen for too long, even if they're really enjoying the conversation because we know that that's not what's best for your learning. You always uh, mentioned this idea of referring to research and that many of the decisions that you have come up with and the strategies that you've developed as an organization are based on research. 
did you find when you had to start thinking about that transition to online uh, that the research that you could tap into was helpful or because of the COVID pandemic, maybe some of that research was disconnected or do you feel there is plenty out there on online learning that was transferable that you could use to support you as you move forward? Let's see. So we started off using the research base. I'm going to start answering the question again. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So we, we started off looking at a body of research. And from there, one of the things that we were really lucky about is that we were offering teacher leader institutes over the course of the year. And so we were able to design based on what we learned from reading the research about online teaching. But then we were able to test some ideas out. And as we were testing ideas out, we were getting feedback from participants. So we were able to really understand, given the context of the pandemic and teaching online, what's working and where are some of the pinch points? What's too much? Where do we need to scale back? Um, what types of questions are going to engage participants? And used that information to help us design for June and July. So we really went through I would say, four different iterations of our online learning model before we launched our June, July institutes. And what's so interesting is the importance of that feedback as you talk about is, you know, constantly connecting with your participants, listening to them and being courageous sometimes, hearing things maybe that are not positive that you have to tweak and change. Do you feel that also because so many of your participants were facilitating online learning, their comfort level was much higher? I think that that is true, that our participants' comfort level with learning online, because they were also teaching online, is definitely higher. And I would say, I'll speak for me personally, it was also a little bit intimidating because we are delivering online learning to people who also had to switch very quickly and teach online. For us, we had the gift of time. We didn't have to all of a sudden take our programs online in 48 hours or 72 hours like any teacher did. We did have the gift of time. And so that makes you all the more, um, I think, conscious that you're delivering professional learning to people who had to pivot even quick, more quickly than we did. Yeah. And I think that the gift of time is something that's so important. And I think what was so challenging for many schools, it was literally for some schools overnight. And there wasn't really a lot of time to prepare or to really kind of come up with a clear vision or approach and trying to pivot those learning principles and the way you taught face-to-face -face suddenly online in 24, 48 or one week uh, is definitely very challenging. And I think one of the things that's obvious is that in the process that you engage with, you had the time to look at the research and really think about uh, your learning principles and your design principles. Do you feel that with this transition to online learning, now as an organization, it might be a case where you're going to have both? that there's value and, and it's a different approach. Are the approaches different enough that it might target different stakeholders? Absolutely. I think some of the initial feedback that I've seen from participants is um, that 
There are people who have never been able to attend a course before for a variety of reasons. And we're really excited that because we were offering in an online format, it opened up access and really were able to include people that maybe had always wanted to take a course and hadn't been able to in the past. So I think that there are enough international educators out there who learn in different ways. Some people are probably going to prefer the in-person learning. Some people are going to prefer the online learning. Some people during the school year, we offer self-paced asynchronous courses. For some people, they prefer that because they like going at their own pace. So I think that because there are so many different approaches to learning, being able to have these different entry points online, in-person, 100% asynchronous, combination of synchronous and asynchronous really opens up a lot of doors to people that weren't available before the pandemic. Yeah, and, and I think it's so important what you're saying is the idea that everybody likes to learn differently and some environments are easier than others. Do you think if it hadn't been for the pandemic and COVID that long-term an organization like yourself uh, would have considered online learning or was this something that uh, was not what you felt was the strength of the organization? I think as an organization, we had offered our EAL certificate. Two of the three courses have been asynchronous and online for the past several years, and that had been working and, and is working effectively. Our our summer institutes, our June-July institutes, I don't think we had ever really thought about taking those online before because they were so well attended in person. And I don't know that we would have had the capacity to offer a simultaneous in-person and online institute. But I think because of the pandemic, it really gave us a chance to rethink how we offer professional learning and maybe how you know, we use our resources as an organization and think about maybe there are some different ways we can restructure to better meet the needs of all of our participants. And it's interesting uh, you saying this idea that, uh, you know, restructuring and what we're offering and the capacity, you know, for an organization or even a school to have face-to-face -face and then in parallel run online. I think that's a huge ask. Do you think now, generally, professional organizations that target uh, international educators or educators are all thinking about having kind of a blended approach, some online, some offline? Is there suddenly gr greater understanding of the value and the need for this? I think that there is. And I think that as as everybody knows who has had to make this switch, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so when <laughs> you put all of the work and thought into designing, I think the idea of thinking like we just des redesigned this entire program, you don't really want it to be a one-off. And yeah. as you're designing, you are, you're, you're putting a lot of thought into it. And so you're not like we weren't thinking, we weren't necessarily thinking this was a one-off. We also weren't thinking that this is going to be how we do things forever moving forward. We're just trying to design the best possible learning experience that you can. But I think as we 
as the institutes end and we go back and reflect and, and look at all of the work that we've done, some lessons that we've learned are um, in some ways when you have a shorter amount of time, so when you have 90 minutes of synchronous time or 120 minutes of synchronous time, you have to be really clear about what the learning outcomes are and what experience you're going to design to get to those outcomes. And in some ways it makes you, um, I think improves your teaching because there's there's not a lot of opportunity yes. for anything else except for being really clear about what you want to have happen. Um, and so I think that the work that goes into that, you, I would hate to to just put it on the shelf now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not and go back to it. <laughs> I agree. And also the idea that if you only have 90 minutes and you're sharing right. some concepts or some even some knowledge and skills, it has to be very succinct and very clear. And I think sometimes yes. by being forced within a certain time zone, I think that really requires you to reevaluate what are you delivering and how yeah. meaningful is it? And what are the learning connections that people are making? I think that's so important, that timestamp that you highlight. Kristen, you've been involved in a lot of professional development over the years as a leader. And I'm just wondering, from this experience, do you think people look at professional de development differently now, especially uh, you are, uh, you know, have been a school leader, you've of course approved professional development for people to fly to other countries or other cities, and this whole uh, idea of professional development being outside of school. Uh, do you think now with this, there's going to be kind of a uh, recalibration and, and leaders going to start thinking, hold on, I can do this online or these people could do it online. I don't need to send them away. You know, how do you balance the benefits of uh, both, you know, the face-to-face -face and the online and kind of think as a school leader, how do I juggle those decisions? That's a great question. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially as we're coming to the end of our institutes. One of the activities that we did in, in one of our courses that was led by one of our facilitators was polarity mapping and really looking at it's not necessarily one or the other, it's both. And so what are the positive things that we've learned that we can take forward? And what are the things that we have learned that we need to sort of look at as a caution and, and to be aware of? And I was having a conversation with uh, about five directors of teaching and learning from schools in different parts of the world, it's probably about six weeks ago now. And I asked them the same question. And I, hands down, people said yes, that what they're thinking has changed. And one of the things that they're thinking about is how they work with experts. Wow. Interesting. And so instead of having that calendar of, you know, we're going to have this person come this month and this person come next month, there's been a shift to how can we leverage that person's expertise and make it more of an ongoing iterative process. So instead of having somebody come in for a day, maybe we're going to have them come in and do 90 minutes of learning with our faculty. And then we're going to go and try some things out and we're going to reflect. And then we're going to come back and we're going to invite that expert back in and we're going to process 
what we've learned, we're gonna get some more in it and then we're gonna go forward. So I definitely think the pandemic um, has led us to rethink some of those structures that we use for professional learning and have forced us to get better, to become more clear, to become more intentional, and also to really honor that there's the clear learning outcomes that we want to have, and but also the connection that we have with each other, learning together and learning from each other is equally important and perhaps even starts with this idea of who we are as learners and then how do we design for our adult learners, how do we create these learning experiences that are going to um, mimic what we want a student's learning experience to have or and to I, be like. I, I love that question, who are we as learners? I think that's so important. And you know, as you talk about this anecdote of, uh, with the directors of teaching and learning, what's interesting in the uh, corporate world, there are companies that have gone online fully. IBM is a great example. And I think they, and in, in some of the uh, anecdotes and research you can read, I think some of the learnings that we've come to uh, understand as educators through the pandemic and uh, schools moving to online is those aspects of going away from the one-shot one expert for a weekend and looking at that as more of a long-term relationship and periodic coming in and then practitioners being able to actually uh, implement some of the learning and the strategies and then getting that feedback at another time. I love that model where you're not just going for a weekend, but you have that expert over many weeks. And as you stated, maybe a 90 minute Zoom call with some reading. And I think those kind of structures are really interesting. And I think, you know, schools, I th it is a great opportunity to rethink this all. And do you feel that generally from the participants that you're talking to, and many of them are school leaders, has everybody kind of come to an understanding this is a great opportunity to think things anew, or is there going to be everybody running back to the past? I think people see it as an opportunity. And I think especially if there's this balance, when, when everybody's online, online all the time, it's exhausting. But as schools are starting to be able to, to go back and be together as a school community, I think this idea of uh, having that face-to-face -to -face together as colleagues, but then also working online with experts can be a really nice balance and really open up a lot of doors and opportunities to connect with with other teachers in different parts of the world, with experts that you, that we always could have, have done this, but we just weren't really propelled into a situation where uh, we took advantage of it so easily. Yeah, and I think it's kind of sometimes you need a crisis or a big challenge to start thinking differently, you know, and, and it's much, sometimes it's harder to self-motivate or even start thinking out of the box when there is no need or no pressure. And I think so much about the pandemic, the silver linings have been some of the things that you've been sharing with us and some of the learnings. Where do you see this all going? You know, we're, uh, we're in the middle of the summer and schools are gonna start again. Uh, learning organizations like yourself are gonna look at the year and as things 
get better and people are vaccinated, there will be, you know, things opening up. Do you have kind of an idea? What are some things that you foresee down the road? That's a hard question. <laughs> I know. I know it's a hard question. It's kind of the silver, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, crystal ball gazing. But I, I, I think one thing that, you know, I really appreciate and the way what you've been sharing is this idea of balance and understanding there are positives for both and how do you blend them together and make the best of them? Do you feel that that's maybe something that you're walking away with as an organization? Absolutely. I think um, in about uh, one more, one and a half weeks, we will have finished our institutes for the summer. We'll have a chance to go back and look at the feedback we received from the participants and just reflect on what worked, where were our successes, how can we build off of those, what are some lessons that are learned, what are some, some revisions that we would like to make, and as we're going through that process, also looking at what's happening in the world, is it, is it going to be safe for people to travel, is it going to be safe for people to come together again, what, uh, what opportunities can we provide to continuation and learning together. And I suspect, I suspect we'll provide a combination of both. We, have, we certainly have not made any decisions yet. We will definitely want to look carefully at all of our lessons learned. But I really do think that there's room for both the online learning and the in-person learning to meet the needs of all of the educators that we serve. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And as uh, somebody that's been a school leader, what do you think, what are some lessons that you feel school leaders should walk away from? What are some maybe little heads up or things that you have uh, experienced and learned and facilitated that you think would, you know, support school leaders as they start looking at the new school year ahead? I think one big lesson that we had from this summer um, is, and teachers already know this, it's I think, but for the for the leaders to know how much work it is to redesign learning and to rethink learning. It's not just, you know, tomorrow we're going to teach online what we would have taught if we were in person. And so I think our, our hats are off to all of the teachers who have made such a, a quick change. I think another big lesson that I've I didn't learn this personally because I'm not in a school right now, but from talking with people who are in schools is how important connection is and how important it is to be able to make time to have some playfulness about learning, to have some joy, to come together, to celebrate all of the successes that people have had over the past year and a half as they've had to make constant shifts um, and to think how we can continue to support each other as teams. I think teams is, is something, a lesson that has learned that has come out of the pandemic is how important working with your team is and how you can support each other and share the work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, Teams that worked well were quite successful in, in engaging with online learning because they could divide and conquer in the sense they could divide the workflows and they could, you know, as you state and as so true, having done this myself, uh, you know, teaching online and converting or changing or designing your courses online is a lot of work. It is hours. And I think it's sometimes much more. And I appreciate 
and also echo what you said, hats off to all the teachers because the hours and dedication that took place is phenomenal. And I think sometimes no disrespect to my colleagues as school leaders is sometimes not having done it yourself, sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect, even though I think all leaders have been extremely empathetic and supportive. I think un until you've actually tried to move a lesson online, I think one doesn't realize the time that it takes. So uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Kristen, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and sharing your experience uh, leading you know, professional learning and this pivot from face-to-face -to, -face to online learning. I assume that uh, many of your participants, have you noticed that there are uh, different participants coming, as you said before, and do you anticipate those participants expecting only to do online? Or do you see them transitioning also to the face-to-face? -face? I think we'll have addition of, of all of the above. Yeah. I think that there, I think, I think we will. So we're really excited about what, what's to come for professional learning and, and what that might look like and how we can continue to innovate and push ourselves to deliver high quality training for international educators, whether we're online or in person or a combination of both. And that's what I think is the big lesson I'm learning from our conversation today. It's not about the online or the offline, it's about the design principles and the learning principles and how robust and how purposeful and authentic they are. And I think if you have those, that is such a strong base to build, be it online or offline. So I really appreciate uh, those perspectives. And thank you so much for being part of the International Schools podcast. And you can also uh, look at uh, Kristen's blog and information on the teaching uh, training center and the principal training center on the show notes of the podcast. Thank you so much, Kristen, and all the best with the last week and a half. Thanks, John. It's always a joy to talk with you.